Digital Marketing Radio, episode 172, using psychology to build a great website. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital Marketing Radio is part of the 3B Podcast Network. UK casters talking business growth. Find out more over 3BPN.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm joined today by a man who built a brand, Learning People, from an unknown entity into one of Europe's largest online training providers. He's now set up his very own digital marketing consultancy based in Brighton, England. Welcome to DMR, Steve Linney. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you here, Steve. You can find uh, Steve over at uh, emarketing.co.uk, and that's without the vowels in the word marketing. (laughs) Yeah, I've also, if you want to go to insanelygoodideas.com, that will take you to the blog section of emarketing, so it's it's probably an easier one to explain. Okay, okay. um, um, Who stole your vowels, Steve? Um, yeah, well, that's the problem these days when you're doing a new brand, isn't it? You know, there's kind of all the good names or the, all the good domains are taken. So it's kind of a, yeah, I was kind of late to the game in that one. But thankfully, I got insanelygoodideas.com. So go there for instead. Instead, oh, <laughs> insanelygoodideas.com. Okay, yeah. so um, that's, that's possibly a better one for audio listeners. In the podcast, yeah, yeah, it rolls um, off the tongue but, a bit better. <laughs> um, but, but maybe the fact that, that we're actually talking about your brand makes people remember it even more. So maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, well hopefully. I mean, to be honest, it, it, the name does work for me. And, um, you know, it kind of sums up what we do as a company, you know, because it is, is e-marketing. It's just it's not an easy one to explain when you're saying what the URL is or t- to type out, um, you know, your email address. You always have to kind of spell it out sort of thing. So so today we're talking about using psychology to build a great website mm. today. So why do you actually need to be thinking about psychology when you're building a website? Well, to be honest, you, can't, you have to think about psychology, to be honest, in any business really. And when I'm kind of... Talking about psychology, I'm not meaning that we try to trick some someone into doing something, but what you're doing is you're designing the website in a way that is kind of pleasing to people's brains in a natural uh, process. You know, the, the, we all like to think we're individuals, but you know, we're, we're kind of hardwired in a certain way that um, you know there's things that are pleasing to us and kind of get our dopamine running. Um, so it's just you need to kind of have your website. Um, Ticking those boxes and kind of really pushing those uh, neurons, essentially. Dopamine is that not one of the drugs that um, is banned from the Olympics? Or? No. Um, no. Yeah, no, but it's, it's naturally occurring as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you know actually about the thought process for your users? Um, how, how do you actually go about doing what you suggested there? Well, to be honest, um, there's a couple of really great resources that I've kind of used to kind of that kind of really kind of set me on the path towards this side of things. And, and I, I really need to kind of um, give a lot of credit to Webs of Influence by Natalie Nahi, which is an absolutely amazing book. And it kind of it kind of put a light bulb on in my head and how you should be using a website and how you should be talking to people. Um, you know, it's simple things of having the correct colour on your logo, the correct colour on your call to actions, the placement of the call to actions how your eye flows through a website, it can make massive, massive differences. And, you know, there's natural things you can put in place that um, are just pleasing to an eye and um, give people a sense of trust. Um, you know, and it's it's one of those, you, you don't really need to reinvent the wheel in many ways. You just need to kind of understand how that kind of wheel goes around. Um, and another book that I kind of really uh, recommend is uh, 
called Quirkology by Richard Wiseman. And this isn't a, a marketing book by any means at all, but again, it shows you how we act in certain ways. Um, you know, for example, there's no such thing as luck and lucky people just tend to be the people who try more things. They probably get a lot of things wrong, but um, eventually get something right. And then the, so they're naturally perceived as being lucky. And there's also a thing as well where apparently you're more lucky if you're born in, in the summertime than the wintertime. And it's a difficult one to kind of really equate, you know, with a, a British summer. Is it summer? <laughs> is it winter? What have you? But, you know, my kind of guessing around that is, is maybe by the time you're, you're one year old and actually, you know, we have a one year old who was born in the summer and we can, I can really feel this now in my head, how this could actually be what Richard was talking about. But, you know, you kind of, you, you're not coddling them in clothes as much. You're kind of letting them kind of run around and be their own little thing, you know. So maybe that gives them the confidence when they're later in life to kind of just get on and try things because they're not being mothered as much. So, so I was born in January. Are you saying I've just got no hope? Well, January in Scotland and July in Scotland, you know, it's kind <laughs> of a... <laughs> I'm, I'm a July baby in Scotland, so it's always, always rains in my birthday, so... <laughs> I loved um, the way you started off there talking about different colours as well. You know, I've um, been involved in the creation of different brands and mm. be, been aware of obviously uh, different websites that you can look at to discover what different shades of colours mean and why certain industries um, tend to navigate towards using certain colour palettes. Yeah, yeah. As an overview, would you say that um, certain colours are, are big mistakes generally to incorporate within logos generally? You, you, I couldn't answer that generally. What you, you need to bring it back to is who your target audience is and kind of what you want your brand to represent, really, to be honest. Um, you know, if you are going to be a kind of a bargain basement, um, you know, 99 pence shop or website, you know, yellows and reds together go fantastic. Um, if you're Apple and you're selling really expensive uh, tech goods, yellow and red is not good at all. But, you know, white is very, very good because it's a, it's a very kind of calming colour. One colour that I kind of really like to use, particularly in logos, um, and you can see that in the Learning People's logo and in eMarketing's logo is uh, the colour blue. And you'll probably notice that um, the vast majority of banks and the, the kind of um, FTSE 100s, you know, Think of tech giants as well, such as Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all kind of use blue because it's um, seen as a trusting color as well. Um, and for me, when the, when you're kind of talking about psychology, really, it's kind of, it's getting to the bones of making someone trust in your brand, really, to be honest. And for when it comes to color, it starts with the blue of the logo. And I also use blue throughout websites as well, maybe as a kind of a, a background color although that can be a bit kind of heavy duty in places. Um, but other colours are kind of very good for that side of things as well. It's kind of green as long as it's used in the right hue. But talking of hues as well, actually in saturation, it's, it's the age of your target audience you kind of need to keep in mind as well. So if you're older, you prefer more pastel colours. If you're younger, you can kind of like it a bit brighter on that side of things as well. So yeah, so it's kind of, there's definitely no one answer for that. It's know your target audience. For me, it's about bringing trust in and it's about bringing in conversion rate, you know, so you're kind of optimizing that experience on a website. So you really need to, again, also get down to the individual outcomes of a website or an outside outcomes of a brand, 
you know, are you looking to kind of generate leads? Are you looking to generate sales or boost your, you know, your revenue growth? And then think about how you want to stand out against your competitors as well. Talking of the learning people, I used to like to use a phrase that we were, um, you know, we were kind of like a, a British Airways or an Emirates side of things, you know, so we wanted to kind of look like a, a high quality brand where um, you know you're going to get good customer service, but, you know, you, you may pay a little bit more for the training, but the training was of the good quality and you're going to get the service to go with it. Whereas, I'm not going to name any names, but other training companies, we say, oh, they're the easy jets. You know, they can they can have that side of things, but we're gonna. this is how we're going to, you know, position our company, essentially. Just look for the training providers in orange, and we know the ones you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said the name, but I would. <laughs> is it important to involve your prospective customers in the design of a logo and, and a website to get their feedback as well, or, or is that not really necessary? There's kind of two, two, I suppose you've got two hats in that really, to be honest. You know, it's good to kind of get an opinion of, you know, as, as many people as possible. But I also think that too many cooks kind of really get in the way of spilling the broth, other analogies like that. But it's, so where I think it's good to get kind of customers input is really getting to understand that kind of persona process. So really speak to uh, potential customers and current customers and lapsed customers when you really want to know who your personas are and then you kind of feed your kind of your brand identity around that and also feeds the way that you kind of deal with your customers um you know how you're going to communicate with them uh what you're going to be talking about you know what really makes them tick what do they like and more importantly what do they not like um, but I wouldn't really want to get as granular as kind of, um, you know, choose this color or choose this logo. Mm. It's not to say I haven't done a Facebook competition in the past where, you know, we have said, choose this logo. Um, invariably, they choose the one that you don't want. Mm. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, but it's, I suppose you got, if you offset that against and you get some really good viral traction and it really pushes your brand, fantastic. But, you know, chances are, that won't happen. So it's going to be more about taking that um, educated guess, but definitely get your customers' information involved and expertise surveyed the, the, the life out of them at the persona stage, really, and get them to understand what, how you want to talk to them, essentially, and your logo will come from that. It sounds like it's more about um, getting your profile of your ideal customer right to begin with and really understanding who that is. And if you yeah, yeah. do a great job at that, then there's probably no major requirement to actually involve people in the design phase because you've got too many people involved then and to a certain degree you just need uh, one or two decision makers and it, it can go a little bit crazy if you, if you have too much input. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's my kind of experience with it, to be honest. I'm sure the another person who talk about focus groups being kind of really handy for this side of things. But for myself, um, perhaps it's the control freak side of me who would prefer to have that kind of, yeah, an, an input of intelligence before, and then you kind of come up with the idea from that. And we're talking about the psychology behind what users do in a website. Do you find that that is different depending on the device that they happen to be using? I mean, if someone's using a tablet versus a mobile device or a desktop PC, do their perceptions or wishes for what that website will offer change depending on the device that they're using? I think, you know, their expectations don't change in that people always kind of want to know what's in it for me. 
essentially what the experience they're going to get from the website or the app on that device. Um, but yeah, it totally does need to be kind of digestible on every platform. Um, and probably kind of a good example of that um, is when you're thinking about things like such as Apple TV these days, where, um, you know, Netflix can be quite a straightforward experience, although I think it's actually quite a bad designed website from a psychological point of view because there's too much stuff in there okay. um, and I've actually used Netflix as an example of um, why we shouldn't do something to um, in meetings in the past because people wanted to throw loads of information onto a website and I've said well no you get the Netflix effect so you can actually find what you're looking is, for. Is there any ideal number of choices that you want to have on a, on a web page that is immediately visible? Well, to be honest, I like to kind of keep information in chunks of three, to be honest, because your brain is kind of hardwired to understand information in chunks of three. You know, I, I just think people want to be able to find information quickly and easily and, you know, get what they want out of that website. You know, if you go kind of go back to the kind of the platform side of things, as long as the platform is delivering that experience and people can kind of enjoy what you're kind of giving out to them or find the relevant information or make the purchase in uh, an easy process, then it kind of it kind of works for them. What about the ex- expectations of users over time? Has that changed a lot over the last few years as internet speed has increased, as pixel width of monitors has increased significantly and, and, and different mobile devices have obviously got faster as well? Do you think people's expectations of what a website, web page offers has changed and, and will continue to change significantly oh yeah, yeah 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 completely to be honest i mean people we've got so so many kind of good quality devices in our hands on our, our desktops and, and, and television television we want to be kind of using them to its best potential um but really if you kind of bring it back to the kind of psychological side of a website you know i really i think as long as you keep things simple you know you don't really need to go mad with technology to be honest with websites as well you know can keep it simple with the execution and keep it simple with the message um and it's, it's kind of a good quote from kind of seth gordon comes to mind um and that you shouldn't change something just because you're tired of it or you know for example your spouse gets tired of it you should change it when your accountant is tired of it don't what don't think about having to totally revamp your website every two or three years just because you think oh god technology we could do this we could do that um, you know, unless you're kind of a, a brand that kind of needs that kind of wow factor or a gimmick factor, if you are if you are one of those, go for it. But you will need to change your website regularly. You know, for the vast majority of us out there, I'd just say keep it simple. I think that's that's a really good um, tip. Just to end this um, the first part of the discussion on actually, because um, there's so many website owners, um, content producers that see their own websites much more often than any of their tired their, their, their target customers and they're the ones that get fed up of it first oh, but yeah, just yeah. just because you're fed up of it doesn't mean that your target customers are and yeah so, yeah i've so, fallen into that trap mm. many many times to be honest as well you know so and it's kind of one that i've kind of since kind of uh, reading that quote i've kind of forcibly kind of make myself just kind of stand back a little bit from it as well because you know like you say we see something daily you know maybe four or five times the vast majority of people won't 
Well, let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses on Steve's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, Steve, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, I suppose as a kind of a startup at the moment, it's very kind of like, um, I suppose very kind of business focused sort of things as in just to kind of make things kind of tick along on a daily basis. So things like Evernote for me is absolutely essential. Um, Asana is a kind of online task management tool, um, which um, is essential for me to kind of actually work out what's going on for the week ahead. Um, Dropbox and Google Docs, if that was taken away from me, would be um, terrible. And from an actual kind of, um, you know, actually doing work side of things, um, Adobe Creative Cloud, you know, it's, um, it's definitely a mainstay of, of what I do on a daily basis. And, you know, with that, really, it's kind of Photoshop and design uh, premiere. But mostly, uh, most recently, it's been experience design for kind of making wireframes and kind of really kind of get into that kind of um, UX experience for a client before you get to the full design side. So experience um, design, is that, is that from Adobe as well? Yeah, yeah, it's quite it's quite new, I believe, in maybe about six months, 12 months at most. Um, yeah, but for me, it's been really good just to kind of visualise um, easily uh, the ideas that I've kind of got in my head and kind of show to clients in a nice, easy, digestible format. Okay, great. Well, it's always good to get recommendations that I haven't mm. had before, and I think that's one of them. Um, but slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, you've stumped me, actually, to be honest, because um, what I tend to do, if, if I do get a recommendation, I tend to try and jump on it as, as soon as. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to leave that one blank. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I'll leave it ticking in the back of your mind. And yeah, I will yeah, come yeah, back yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, but um, you've also given us lots of other recommendations, so I'll include the links to all those um, in the show notes um, here at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Well, I suppose it's kind of uh, making assumptions without A-B testing is, is, quite, uh, is quite a big thing for and me, what, to be honest. What software do you use for A-B testing? Uh, Visual Website Optimizer. Right. Can I use that site? Or uh, Optimizely or un Unbounce, depending on the uh, situation. Um, but yeah, so there was definitely when the, the latest iteration of the Learning People website went live, um, the kind of landing pages was, had a new tweak to the design, which was a bit more tastely designed, but boy, they didn't perform, to be honest. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a quick change it back to how it should be and sort of thing and then. I mean, we eventually did get the changes in that we wanted, but we kind of got the data, you know, working first. So, yeah, A-B testing. Yeah, definitely don't make assumptions. Never You're not assume. as clever as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> the this or that round. Okay, so this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions here, just two rows. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Okay. Ready to go? Good, good. Yep. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one relations. Paid search or SEO? SEO. 
Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Local. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't a significant struggle there for anything. I'm trying to pick something out here. A video fan rather than audio. So you're not um, a listener of podcasts? Well, no, I, I, I am, to be honest. Um, I do I do enjoy podcasts, of a trip over my tongue more. But to kind of bring it back actually to audio, what I love doing uh, is podcasts and audiobooks when I'm kind of uh, out my bike. Um, well, not on the bike so much because I'm doing more road work and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have your headphones in on the bike. Um, but, you know, if you're out for a walk, I've, I've done a lot more walking this summer. Um and a kind of a podcast and audiobook is kind of really good to kind of keep me going along that. And I, what I tend to do is kind of get a business book, a uh, marketing book. Um, I'll have it on the iPad so I can take notes. And then I'll listen to the audiobook as well so, as I'm walking alongside things. So but, audio is more for personal learning and video is more for your business? Um, no, because um, for video, what I love is, um, again, using Apple TV in the morning and watching things like a TED Talk. Uh, just kind of a bit of inspiration and things like that as well. So I think there's definitely kind of a, a place for both, but... Um, you were forced yeah. to choose one. Yeah, but I would go for... Okay, I would say video more. The $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Well, that's a difficult thing really because I'm just beginning to um, plan my birthday party and I could just embezzle it and run away and have a real good party. But I think what I would do on is spend it on video content, to be honest. Um, 75% on video content and then 25% on inbound marketing to actually get people to see, to see that content. Um, and I think that kind of comes personally from where how I kind of really want to market e- e-marketing at the moment is to um, really kind of push that kind of uh, personal presence as well, um, you know, as a kind of small business owner, you know, you, you kind of, you are your brand um, as well. And I think the best way to kind of really push forward with something like that is to kind of really push on with your uh, video content, uh, be that one minute segues into, you know, what is email marketing or kind of a longer piece that actually shows a, a presentation that you've done. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of drive that you can do with that. But again, you know, Kevin Costner was totally wrong. If you build it, it definitely won't come. Um, so 25% definitely has to go on inbound marketing. And the majority of that would probably go on Facebook advertising, to be honest, and email marketing. And it wouldn't, with Facebook, it wouldn't be from a revenue generation side of thing, but more of a kind of a brand growth side. So post-promotion uh, you know, kind of for awareness. your video content then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so for the actual video content, you were talking about yourself there, I think. So, so you're talking about having professionally produced videos of you explaining things to your audience. Or are you talking about having someone else actually in the video rather than you? Um, you can, a bit of both, to, to be honest. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I could do something on video, but then again, if people don't like me on video, I'll quickly take that lesson. Um, but I think it's more about having the e-marketing brand and um, essentially 
you know, I'm kind of there to kind of help push that forward. And, you know, there's nothing bigger than the brand and the individual isn't bigger than the brand of the company. But, you know, people buy into individuals rather than brands, especially on the B2B level, I would say, to be honest. So so let's see if we can get back to this um, one bit of software that you're thinking of or being aware of and you want to try at some point in the future. So can you think of um, that one piece of software that you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point? I'm totally stumped here. This this is a very scratch the head moment, to be honest. um, Yeah, no, I can't can't think, to be honest. I I, I wish I had a clock here that I could just keep on ticking until (laughs) you came up with it. I've got a visual one in my head now, to be honest. But um, what 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 kind of software do you do you think it would be? What um, thing are are you either missing in your business, or you think you need to offer to clients in the future as a service, maybe? Well, to be honest, I suppose the, I mean, this is something I, I, I do use, to be honest, is kind of things like uh, Moz.com or Analytics SEO side of things, but it's that kind of, I suppose, that intelligence side of things as well. If there was if there was something in mind that kind of kind of really pulled that kind of um, data into one that was, you know, what, what, what I tend to find is there's kind of a lot of services where they kind of do certain things, but they don't quite do everything that I kind of want it to do. So I think it may be inventing something rather than actually think, thinking of a new thing for you, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably the challenge of attribution, isn't it? It's, it's attributing the true value of sources of traffic and, and what they actually, what impact they have on the bottom line, uh, even if it's um, not necessarily last click before purchase. Um, a, a, a lot of these referring sources of traffic, you know, have some kind of impact and it's measuring it. And a lot of people are struggling with attribution. So that's mm. that, 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 that's what I would take from your answer. Unless, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going in the wrong direction there. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. You'll yeah, go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put me on any more pressure to come up with something else. <laughs> okay, let's um, finish off with... My number one takeaway. So, Steve, you've offered a lot of um, interesting perspectives and great advice in our, our conversation, but what would you say is the number one takeaway? So what's the single most important step that a listener needs to take away and implement in their business? Number one for me has to be kind of understanding your audience really, and it's kind of having that kind of uh, meaningful connection with them as well. Um, it's about not going for a sale at any cost. It's about really kind of creating um, a website that kind of really caters towards a need, answers a question, creates content that people really want to, you know, digest and they really want to kind of share with people, you know, and if they kind of love your content, they'll love your brand and then they'll, they'll want to kind of purchase from you and they want to kind of keep on coming back as well. So it's about, yeah, understand your audience, meaningful connection and kind of long-term relationships. I love that. Create a website that caters towards a need because there's so many websites that I've landed on um, for different purposes. And 10, 20 seconds later, I'm still not completely sure precisely what they do. So <laughs> I guess you need to articulate yeah. that need quite well. And um, if you do that, then... Oh, yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, again, from a psychological point of view, you know, it's your brain triggers in, what, 200 milliseconds, uh, you know, and you've got probably six seconds to really get someone's attention on your website. Great stuff. Well, so thanks to Steve and thanks to your listener too. If you enjoyed what Steve shared today, tell us what you think. An iTunes review is always good and I might even read it out in a future episode. And of course, if Twitter is your thing, at David Bain is my handle. So maybe it's your thoughts on this episode, maybe it's your thoughts on what we should discuss on a future episode. Whatever it is, it would be great to hear from you. But until we meet again, 
be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Thanks again, Steve. Great episode. Cheers, then. Thank you.